0: Look at verse 7 again. After I saw in the night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and had a great iron teeth, it devoured and brake in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it and had ten horns. Now, again, this is a beast that is terrible. And uh, uh, we really have a hard time imagining what it was like Some have come up with ideas, but uh, before I actually show you an idea of what that might have looked like, we really don't know other than what we're told here as far as the description. But it had ten horns that represent the Roman Empire, just as the legs of iron of Nebuchadnezzar's image did. We find this interpreted in verses 19 through 28, uh, but uh, we want to get the explanation that the Spirit of God has given us that will keep us from really being uh, speculative here. And uh, more attention has been given to the fourth beast than all the other three put together. Uh, This section uh, is very important because I think we're actually living in the time of the fourth beast. Uh, The time with the ten toes and the horns and uh, beginning to manifest themselves. But the fourth beast is altogether different from the others. Uh, given in a separate vision. All the other beasts had kind of, you know, had their counterpits, uh, counterparts. You know, like uh, you find them in jungles and you find them in zoos. You know, you find a lion, okay? That's easy. You, you can imagine a lion. Now, it had, some, uh, had wings like eagles. It's hard to imagine that. But uh, uh, you find uh, a lion, a bear, uh, and you have a leopard. Now, this leopard happened to have four heads, but uh, it was a leper. We know uh, kind of what it might look like. But this fourth beast, no, no one's ever seen one like this before. It's an unusual beast. And after you've had a night of dreaming of beasts like this, I don't think just taking an aspirin or a sleeping pill is going to kind of give you <laughs> any rest. I, I can imagine this was kind of traumatic in a, in a way. But uh, the beast is described as dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, represents the Roman Empire characterized by its strength, Uh, incited dread and terror. Now, this unusual beast had ten horns, which obviously correspond to the feet uh, of the image with ten toes. The emphasis here is not upon the origin of this empire, but rather the end time of it, the period of the ten horns. Uh, The vision of this fourth beast is is made uh, further importance of importance to us because it's really not yet fulfilled. Uh, We're living in some period of the end time, and the visions of the three beasts before that were already that's been fulfilled. So, three fourths of this prophecy has literally been fulfilled. There remains. Uh, the future only of the horns. The fourth kingdom of Rome has already appeared, although it fell apart and came back together in ten kingdoms. It will soon be put back together by the one from the word of God labeled as the Antichrist. Now, verse 8 says, I considered the horns, and, behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And, behold, this horn were eyes, the eyes of a man, and a mouth's speaking great things. So our attention is given to these 10 horns. And you notice it did, does not represent a fifth kingdom. They grow out of the head of the fourth beast. And uh, that's the development, the last development of this fourth beast. And uh, it's uh, in the toes of the first vision, the vision of the image, they were iron and clay. Iron is still here, so Rome is still here. Uh, but the clay, the weakness of, is there also. And I think the iron represents the autocratic rule of one man. The clay represents the crowd, a a democracy. Uh, Rome is going to be put back together again, and it's interesting that men are looking for someone who will be able to do it. And then you have another little horn becomes the key to the entire situation. He uproots three of the ten horns and establishes himself overall. Now, I don't know who the ten kingdoms are. You know, people have speculated who the Ten Kingdoms are, uh, but uh, they really uh, come from the disintegration of the Roman Empire. And then it also says, in this horn were eyes. Seems to indicate a human intelligence, a genius, a mouth speaking great things. Now, in the book of Revelation, there are both earthly and heavenly scenes. In one scene, you'll see things that, as they will happen here on earth. And then in the next scene, you're transported to heaven and you see things that are happening in heaven. Things uh, are much the same way here in Daniel's dream. In his dream, Daniel saw both earthly and heavenly scenes. Now, in our last study, we saw that these things will happen here on earth. We saw the rise of world kingdoms represented by the four beasts. Uh, We saw them rising out of the sea. We saw a lion we saw a bear. The lion represents the Babylonian Empire. The bear represents the medo Persian Empire. Again, the leper represents the Greek or Macedonian Empire. And the fourth beast represents the Roman Empire and a future revived Roman Empire. And so it kind of, these four beasts give us a panoramic view of world history, uh, things that they have and will hap, uh, that have happened and will happen on the earth. So before us here in verses 9 and 10, we're taken to heaven and we see things that will happen in heaven. We're taken into the future and we see a solemn event that's yet to take place. In verse 9, Daniel says, I beheld uh, till the thrones were cast down. And we see in, uh, in later study, we'll see the kingdoms of this world will be replaced with a heavenly kingdom. Uh, in verses 13 and 14, we'll see how there'll come a day when the Lord Jesus will set up his kingdom on earth. And all this the kingdoms of this world will be cast down. The Lord will establish his kingdom upon the earth. Now, what Daniel sees in verses 9 and 10 will occur after this occurs. So this particular part of Daniel's dream and vision corresponds with Revelation 20, Verses 11 through 15. So hold your spot in Daniel and go to Revelation chapter 20. And we'll look at quickly here at verse 11 uh, through verse 15. Revelation 20, verse 11 through verse 15. And this is uh, uh, the scene as seen by John. He says, I saw a great white throne, and saw him that sat on it, from whose face on the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and, the, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in the writ- written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Daniel, long before John had, was allowed to see this future event, saw what we often have called the great white throne judgment. And so we want to look at this particular part of Daniel's dream and its visions. And in this particular part of his dream, the focus is on God. So no, notice, first of all, the ageless one. The ageless one. Verse 9, it says, the ancient of days. Now three times in chapter 7, God is referred to as the ancient of days. Verse 9, we'll see it again in verse 13 and, verses, and verse 22. Now, when you call the ageless one, or you call the ancient of days, that's kind of a description of an elderly person, Uh, one uh, venerable in years. But the image is not to imply that God is an old man, okay? Some people have that disrespect for God, you know, the old man upstairs, or something like that. That's not the idea here, that he's an old man but it's the that is eternal he's ageless not restricted to time eternal and ageless one so as the eternal ageless one god is the one who has always been in psalm 90 verse 2 it says before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou hast formed the earth and the earth, uh, world even from everlasting to everlasting thou art god Before things or time as we know it, there was a God. There was God. Not a God, but God. Uh, The fact is, there has never been a moment when God did not exist. He had no beginning. He's always been. Go back as far as your mind will allow you, and you'll find there's God. But secondly, He's the one that will always be. He has always been and there will never be a moment when he will not be. It's not he is not only the one from everlasting but he is the one to everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. Now back in the eons of eternity God was and in the eternity future God will be. He's without beginning or end. He's the ancient of days. That's what this phrase is talking about. Now someone or something had that had no beginning or we'll have no end is hard for our little peanut minds to comprehend. Uh, our minds are finite. We, we just can't uh, comprehend that because we think in terms of time. You know, you had a birthday. You were, came into the world. And you'll have a, a, a death day. A time when you'll, you'll, your body will cease to be. We think in terms of time. We're bound to the fleeting succession of precious moments. Moments before are but a memory. You know, Lunch is but a memory. Uh, you might remember what you had to eat, some of that, uh, some of those good uh, uh, things that you had there to eat today. But that's all a memory. Moments to come are an expectation. That's what we have. Uh, we're expecting uh, a little time in the sun. That's to come. Lord willing? Okay. We don't know, but God knows. But we, that's how we think in terms of time. We're in bondage to the succession of moments and the events that fill them. Eternity is more than just an endless extension of time, backward and forward. In actuality, eternity supersedes time. It's a mode of existence that's bound by the succession of time. Time was actually created by God. But he himself is over and above it. There are no such things as past, present, and future with God. Those are the kind of things that are boundaries in which we live. God lives in an eternal now. Tomorrow is just as real to God as today or yesterday because he has already experienced it. As eternal and ageless one, God is self-sufficient in himself. And since he existed before time and before space, before any created thing or created being, then obviously he can exist without anything or anybody outside of himself. Now we know he can do it because he did it. He existed when there was nothing else in existence. God does not need anything or anybody. He's totally self-sufficient. He is in himself and was within himself, his own being, all that he needs. He's the ancient of days. See, there's a lot tied up with that little three-word phrase, isn't there? The one who's always been and who will always be. Secondly, he's the awesome one. Now, that's not just a modern, or maybe not so modern anymore. But uh, people say, oh, that's awesome. You know, that's kind of a uh, teenage talk back in my day anyway. Teenagers today probably don't talk that way. But, you know, that's, that's more than than just uh, slang. Awesome has real meaning. In verse 9 The Ancient of Days, whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head were pure wool, his throne like a fiery flame, and his wheels a burning fire. Now some teenager might think that's a pretty hot car. You know, have wheels that are burning like fire. But, you know, God here is revealed in a form that magnifies his attributes that he possesses. First of all, he's awesome in his person. His garment was white as snow. The word garment speaks of the robe that was worn by princes and noblemen and priests. When it speaks of purity and the white robe, it speaks of His holiness. The Bible says in Psalm 99, verse 5, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His footstool, for He is holy. He is a God without sin, without impurity. He's completely holy. Now, Daniel also saw the hair on his head was uh, was like pure wool. The hair on his head was uh, uh, speaking of pure wool, speaks of an infinite wisdom. He's a God who knows everything that has happened and will happen. There's nothing that God does not know. You can't teach him anything. There's nothing he does not know. He's infinitely wise. Daniel saw this. He's awesome in his person. Secondly, he's awesome in his position. Verse 9 says, He saw the Ancient of Days did sit. Now, where was he sitting? Well, it tells us there, in verse 9, he was sitting on his throne. The position in which he sees God is sitting on a throne. Uh, Sitting on his throne speaks of ruling and reigning. And his throne was like Fiery flame, the fire is a symbol of judgment, and God's throne is likened to a fiery flame, speaks of how God is going to judge all of the universe. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 50, in verse 6, and the heavens shall declare His righteousness, for God is judge Himself. It also tells us in Psalm 9, in verse 8, and He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord sits on a throne in heaven as a judge and of all people and nations. Over in 2 Timothy 4.8, it declares he is the righteous judge. Daniel saw him awesome in his person. He saw him awesome in his position. And then thirdly, awesome in his providence. Now, Here's where Daniel sees his wheels are burning fire. The wheel speaks of activity. It reminds us he's not just sitting on a throne, but he's administering the events of the universe and carrying out his eternal purposes. And as a burning fire, uh, God's plans and purposes are swiftly carried out when it's time uh, for them to be executed. Moses said in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. God is an awesome person. Uh, There's none like him. And then thirdly, God is the adjudicating one. Oh, there's a big word. Uh, Now, you don't have to have gone to college to understand what adjudicating is, but uh, uh, some of you might need to look that one up sometime but it's really one who passes sentence upon mankind. The one who passes sentence on the condemned. That's what adjudicating talks about. In fact, when Daniel sees him take a seat on his throne, he's taking the place of a judge. In verse 10, we read, "...a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him." The fiery stream is the judgment that is proceeding from him it's all, uh, it also says in verse 10 that the judgment was set. So the vision that Daniel has is sitting on the throne as a judge, passing sentence upon those who failed to acknowledge him as Lord. Now, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, you won't be there. Only those who have failed to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior. And I said earlier, Daniel got a glimpse of the scene that's described as we read there in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, where it says it's the great white throne. It's the scene of judgment. And in Daniel's vision, he sees a multitude gathered round and before God. First of all, he sees the serving ones. Notice there, Daniel sees a thousand thousands. A thousand thousands. Try counting that sometimes. A thousand thousands ministered unto him. Now, when it says thousand thousands, it's speaking of thousands of thousands. There are no doubt a myriad of angels that serve God. That's what the word ministered means, to serve. The Bible speaks of a large number of angels that serve God. Uh, The Bible says in Psalm 68, verse 17, the chariots of God were 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them, as in Sinai, in the holy place. So around God's throne are innumerable hosts of angels that attend to God's every desire, offering continual praise and worship. They have one mission, one purpose, that is to serve God. The Bible says in Psalm 103, and verse 20, Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. His will, his word they obey. So he saw the serving ones. And then secondly, he saw the sentenced ones. The sentenced ones. He sees a second multitude of people. He saw 10,000 times 10,000 that stood before him. Now these are those that John described in Revelation 20 and verse 12 as dead and small and great. Uh, The multitude that Daniel and John saw are every lost person who has ever lived or will live. Those he saw standing before God are all who have rejected God's Son as their Savior. So there's coming an hour when every lost man and woman, every every age will stand before God. What a fearful moment that will be. Because in Revelation 20 verse 11 describes heaven and earth uh, uh, trying to flee God at that hour, but there's no place for them to hide. Thousands upon thousands will stand before God. All the infidels will be there. Every equal evil dictator, your Hitlers, your Stalins will be there. All of your procrastinators will be there. You know, those who said just a little bit longer, just a little bit later, then I'll give my life to the Lord. And it'll come a time when it's too late. and they will be there. I'll, uh, they won't be able to say, "I'll put it off till tomorrow." The religious crowd, the members of churches that never experienced the new birth, are among this number. All the good moral folks who thought they were so good and they didn't need the blood of Jesus Christ, they're going to be there. I think it's uh, you can see this scene uh, by Daniel and John is one of the most terrifying, heart-rending scenes in the entire Bible. It's an hour when God will judge a Christless and Christ-rejecting world and send them into the lake of fire where they'll spend eternity. Daniel described how the judgment, uh, the books will be opened. John described the same thing in Revelation 20 and verse 12. Now, Perhaps John and, and Daniel saw different books. There was the book of life in which the names of every person that is saved. And on that day, God will open the book of life, revealing those who have, uh, stand before him are not in the book. Uh, they will understand why they're being sentenced. And they will be Sentenced by the Holy God for not accepting their son or his son as their savior. And there will be a second set of books, which will be a record of all their deeds. And on that day, God will bring those deeds uh, before them of every sin they've committed. You see, you can do one of two things with your sin one, you can bring them to Jesus, he died to pay the penalty of your sin. And when you accept Christ as your Savior, you're putting your sins on Him and allowing Him to be your substitute. You're accepting His payment for your sins. I once read a story of a wagon train which was crossing the western prairie. The wagon master saw a prairie fire that was quickly approaching, and he rode quickly to to the back of the wagon train, and he set the grass on fire back there. And as the wind swept the fire, burning the grass behind them, he began to shout, back up your wagons, back your, back, back your wagons. Because he knew that the fire would not burn where the fire had already burned. And so judgment cannot fall where judgment has already fallen. You see, God's judgment fell on the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary's cross. And all who come to Jesus are sheltered from God's judgment that will fall upon mankind. You can accept Jesus' payment for sin, or you can pay for your own sin. So what Daniel saw was those who pay for their own sin. What is the penalty for sin? The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. The Bible is talking about eternal death, eternal separation from God. The Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 14 and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Well, God is a God of love, God is a God of mercy and grace. He's offering salvation to all men, but there will be a day he'll take the seat as a judge. And the great question is, will you stand before God at the great white throne, or will you stand already redeemed and saved? Saved by grace. I'm glad I settled that question many years ago, and I hope you have too. And that's what Daniel is seeing here in this particular uh, dream. Let's uh, pray.